Let's get to verse 1. And for our study of Hosea, we're using the 1978 NIV. Um, the, the first NIV that had an Old Testament. So, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. Actually, quite a few kings of Israel besides him, but he lists the four main kings of Judah. And, uh, and notice what he does. Um, prior to Hosea, who may have known the prophet Elisha, okay, if that helps, again, keep the chronology of things, how much of the Bible was written by this time? Well, name one thing that was certainly written by this time. Genesis. Yeah, sure, Genesis. All, in fact, all the books of Moses were, were already written by the time Moses died. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses was succeeded by Joshua. And then after that came the Judges. And probably the book of Judges was mostly written during the reign of either King Saul or King David. And the little book of Ruth may have been tacked on because of the reign of King David. Because David had a problem in his genealogy. What was the problem with David's genealogy? Yeah, he had a Moabite in his ancestry. And David had to prove that he had been an Israelite long enough for the Moabite blood to thin out and he could be called a pure-blooded Israelite. He had to have four generations. And almost, maybe entirely for that reason, the book of Ruth gets written to show, I mean, aside from the fact that it's an amazing story and teaches us what a kinsman redeemer is, and so there's a perfect picture of, of redemption and the grace of God. Um, but it also tells us that David, David's family had been in the tribe of Judah long enough that they could be counted as full-blooded Jews once again. Um, so that little addition there uh, for maybe a little bit of... Um, oh, Napoleon Bonaparte had, an, for, for as horrible a person as he was, he had a fantastic sense of public opinion. So Napoleon loved to have great portraits of himself painted. You know, so he has a victory at Austerlitz. And what does he do? He paints, he has a portrait of himself painted on a rearing white horse with a sword raised. So who's obviously the victor of that battle? Oh, it's Bonaparte. Oh, isn't he charming? You know, he doesn't look five foot nothing. You know, that's because he's up on a horse and everybody else is, you know, and, and so that, that's, that's, that's Napoleon. And maybe that's a little bit of where Ruth comes from, is a little bit of public opinion, you know, swaying public opinion. Well, following that, um, uh, uh, the books of Samuel are really recounting the reign of David uh, and maybe our brand new in the time of Solomon, not sure who wrote Samuel. Samuel dies halfway through 1 Samuel, so don't think he wrote 2 Samuel. But maybe it was Nathan or Gad, David's other prophets who wrote the book of Samuel and so forth. Stuff that Solomon had written was laying around and David, they had piles of papers that were Psalms and Proverbs and things 
Um, one year in the life of William Shakespeare, the, the, um, the uh, theaters were closed because of the plague. So how did Shakespeare earn money that year? You know, it was COVID. Well, what's he going to do? Um, he wrote long narrative poems. That's when he wrote, um, what is it? Is it The Turtle and the Phoenix and The Rape of Lucretia? Those, those two long narrative poems. Um, just to earn money. He also dedicated them to rich, to rich people. So, oh, okay. And also he wrote uh, 100 and, is it 120? Sonnets. Um, so he is earning money that way by basically, you know, putting articles in the newspaper um, for this and that, and he's making money. And so Solomon had a couple of those longer poems as well. What are those things I'm talking about with Solomon? Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, especially. Proverbs are probably like the Psalms, just scraps of paper laying around with his sayings, you know. Um, I've, I've sometimes wondered if Proverbs is really when Solomon would hold court in the early afternoon. The morning would be when people would come in with problems. Then the, law, the legal cases would come in in the early afternoon after lunch probably. And, and then before the siesta, Solomon would judge the case. They would leave. And I've, I've always wondered if Solomon then would just say, you know, wow, be better to live on the corner of a roof than live, live in a house with a, that kind of a woman. And that becomes proverb, you know, whatever. And that those are just sort of the, 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 the punchlines of all of these cases that Solomon um, adjudicates over time. I, I don't know. But, um, so the Psalms and Proverbs are not really collected into, their, into the order that we have them until much later. Um, we don't think, because in, even in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they're not in the order that we have them. It might have been the prophet um, um, or the, and, the, and the leader Ezra who did that. He's credited with doing that right after the exile. Um, but um, when Hosea writes, that's kind of it. So there, maybe Joel had been written. So Hosea is one of the earliest of the writing prophets. Um, even maybe before Isaiah. So that sets him apart. This is now a new kind of literature. We have these poems and psalms and stuff and these history books, but now we suddenly have something new. Um, that guy Joel wrote something, and now we have something up here in the north. Hosea is writing down the word of God for us to read. So that, that made this special and new and remarkable. So that's the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, Hosea rather, son of Beeri, during these reigns. Um, so, and he, he maybe is a prophet for 50, 60 years. So a very long time. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said, notice the, the word Lord is there in three places in this verse. It's important that remember that we remember that Lord, the name Jehovah or Yahweh, means the God of free and faithful grace, um, undeserved love, also the God who keeps his promises, the God who makes covenants and keeps them. He makes promises and keeps them. This is the Lord. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go take to yourself an adulterous wife. 
Can you imagine? I'm being called to be a prophet and what he wants me to do is go and marry a what? Did you say a prostitute basically? Maybe. That's probably, that's one of three possibilities. So there were some ancient believers who thought this can't be true. God can't possibly ask his servant to go and marry a prostitute or something. So they thought this was all just an allegory. Um, However, I think it's best to take this as literally true. God asked him to go and marry either a prostitute or what we would call a wanton woman. Um, A prostitute has sex for money. A wanton woman has sex just for pleasure and desire, but not according to God's plan. And so one or the other. And would it be easier if we just said prostitute in the class? Just maybe... Um, so he, God says, go and marry yourself a prostitute and have children with her of unfaithfulness. So what that will mean, we'll kind of see a little bit after child number one. Because child number one is Hosea's son. After that, we'll talk about it, okay? So, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. Remember that with the Lord, idolatry equals adultery from his point of view. God wants the prophet to model this for the people so that they get it. Um, There's an old saying in English literature, one good illustration is worth a thousand word sermon. It's just, if you have one good word picture, better than page upon page upon page of sermon, um, just one good, snappy, clever illustration. Um, Today I spoke to a woman in the hospital. She had a heart attack, one of our members. And she was scared. Um, And her family got to go see her. I couldn't go see her today. Maybe tomorrow we'll see, but I couldn't go today. And I got to her on the phone and I I, I asked her, how many tubes are coming down out of the sky into your arm? And she said, oh, it looks like 20. You know, just all of these different IVs. And of course, not all of them were hooked up to her, right? But they're all, she's looking at them. That's what she sees. And there's only actually one or two actually hooked up to her. But I said, can you follow the tube down to where it goes into your Wrist, and I, 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 I guessed it would be her wrist. I was right. Because sometimes it's the elbow, right? But it, this was her wrist. And she said, I see it. And then, Pastor, I'm scared. And I said, you know what? I knew that Pastor Henning had uh, confirmed her years ago. I said, remember what Pastor Henning taught you about the means of grace? What are the means of grace? The gospel in word and sacrament. How does the gospel, God's love, God's forgiveness, how does that get to us? Yes. But how do we apprehend it? Where, is it, where does it actually come into us? Where's the, what's the receiving organ? Faith. Faith. Well, that's kind of hard to understand. But we live in an era where we use IV tubes. So I said, look at that tube sticking out of your wrist. Think of that as your faith. And now think of the medicine coming down the tube as all of God's love and forgiveness. Where does it enter into you? And you know what she said? She said, Pastor, it comes in through my faith. That's what I was hoping for. You know, but it was a wonderful moment on the phone this afternoon. 
So I could, because that's what the, that's what the means of grace are. It's how we apprehend the, 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 the forgiveness and the love of God. Um, he sends it to us through the channel of the preaching of the gospel, and we grab it by faith. The ancient Christians used to call it the organ and lepticon. Can you all see that organ and lepticon? I have my two hands, right? So what's this thing? That's the receiving organ of my faith. Who put it there? God put it there. He gave me that faith at my baptism. And now God grabs it. I don't grab God. God grabs that thing, okay? That's, but the, the ancient Christians called it in Greek, the organ and leptikon, the receiving organ. But um, IV tube is the, the picture that we have today. So God wants Hosea to model this, um, like our use of the word IV tube. So what is this transgression? What is this sin you guys are doing up north? It's idolatry, which to God seems like adultery. So, okay, I'm going to call a prophet and tell him to marry a prostitute. So, so that I, I model, why, what are the people going to do, I hope, if God's, if God's pastor marries a, a hooker? What do you think the people will do first? Oh! <gasps> How could he, right? Yeah, he hopes that they will gasp and then he hopes that they will start to talk about it. You know, what's, what's he, what is he thinking? And then hopefully they will begin to actually figure it out that God's prophet is modeling something for them and hopefully by communicating they will figure this out, especially when he starts naming his children with significant names. Okay. So, he married Gomer. I already talked about Gomer Pyle, didn't I? Let's just go on. It's a woman, though. He married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. We do know that the first child is Hosea's. And the Lord said to Hosea, call him, everybody want to say awe? Awe. Call him Jezreel. Okay. Ooh, Jezreel. That's a, that's a place name. Did you know that? Yeah, we'll talk about that here in about two seconds. So, first of all, call him Jezreel. And then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. Ooh, I read that too fast. God says, I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. That's scary stuff. That's serious, serious stuff. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the, in the valley of Jezreel. If I'm an archer and somebody comes along and breaks my bow string, what can I do? I can restring it, right? If somebody comes along and breaks my three best arrows, what can I do? I can, yeah, or I can grab arrow number four. But what happens if they come along and break my bow? I'm in trouble. In a lot of Assyrian, um, there, there's a lot of Assyrian artwork about their conquests. And you will see a whole line of bowmen with their bows. And the Assyrian conqueror is taking a knife or a sword and actually cutting the bow. 
This is straight out of Assyrian artwork. This, I will break the bow. Where? In the valley of Jezreel. Because Jehu had gone and murdered Ahab's family in the valley of Jezreel. So God's judgment here comes in, in, in the form of a little rhyme. Rhyme and Hebrew poetry don't really go well together, but a couple of prophets, Isaiah and Hosea, sometimes use it. And here, just listen to the cadence of the words. Washavarti et keshet Yitzrael, be-emek Yisrael. So there's a little bit of similar sounding stuff there, isn't there? Um, I will shatter the bow of Israel in the battle of Jezreel. The fact is the words Israel and Jezreel are very similar. And maybe God is even using some wordplay there. I'm breaking you up. Um, so this is from the margin of my Bible, my, my student Bible that I always took my notes in. Sometimes I drew pictures in it. Um, this shows you how small Israel, that's the white part of the middle. Israel was getting smaller and smaller. Um, it amounted these days to not much more than just the border of the northern border of Judah up to the city of Samaria, which is not that far away. Um, even Mount Carmel. Remember Elijah up on Mount Carmel and the priests of Baal and so forth? Well, even Mount Carmel had fallen to the Assyrians by now. Galilee was gone. Tribes like uh, Issachar, Naphtali, Asher, they were gone already. Um, Looked at from, uh, 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 from about the Sea of Galilee, looking west toward Mount Carmel. Another illustration from my own Bible. Um, uh, you see the Carmel Range there sticking up. Uh, then there's the Pass of Megiddo and the Hill of Megiddo down below the city of Jezreel in that valley. Up on the other end is the city of Nazareth up on that hill overlooking everything. But Megiddo was really the military strategic standpoint. Um, but uh, this is where that had happened. Uh, just a little bit more about Jehu himself. Uh, remember, he had been appointed by Elisha. Remember me saying that? To end the house of Omri, this Omrid dynasty. Um, to end the sins of Ahab and Jezebel. Um, and he did that. He killed Joram, Ahab's son. And a lot of other people do. He had... Uh, Jezebel defenestrated. He destroyed Ahab's family. The whole family died. Um, and then he also, he called the ministers of Baal from the north and he said, I want to have a big sacrifice to Baal and you're all invited. Um, they were also the sacrifice and uh, so he did that. And he did that. He did it all in service of the Lord but in the end he did not um, turn away from Jeroboam the first's idolatry. And so the Lord ends up condemning him um, for, for not having been faithful. Although I think that of all of the kings of the northern tribes, all 20, from Jeroboam the first down to Hosea, Jehu comes the closest to a faithful king of the Lord, but he still makes mistakes. And God does not want his leaders to make public sins uh, 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 like this idolatry that Jehu allowed to happen. God may have, may have forgiven a lot with Jehu, but um, allowing public idolatry, especially worship of Baal and Asherah, it just couldn't go on. <clears throat> you all know, do you all know about Baal? Um, he, if, uh, oh, uh, 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 what was Sunday? The, 
um, Super Bowl. Sorry. Um, so imagine that classic pose of a quarterback, right? He has his arm out. He, he brings the ball back like this. That's basically the statue of Baal. If you, if, you, if you replace the football with a lightning bolt, that's Baal. Throwing a, Baal was the god of thunder, lightning, weather, crops, you know, the land's fertility and so forth. Asherah, the, 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 sort of the mate, the goddess of the moon, is always represented as being a very fertile woman and is representative of, of, of fertility, not among crops, but among the animals and the people. And the people would worship Asherah under groves of trees on hilltops. And if there weren't trees up there, they would just use sticks. Like a bunch of, uh, what's the game you play with the ball attached? A tether ball, right? Can you imagine like 12 tether ball poles up on top of a hill? Like that's a grove, a forest? Well, yeah, okay, whatever. Or maypoles or whatever. Um, so that's what Jehu allowed to continue. We'll stop there at verse 5. And we'll pick it up there again next time. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.